0: Uh, Father God, we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, who is our hope in life and in death. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your living and abiding word uh, in us. We thank you for how you use your word to form and shape us. Uh, Church family, this morning as uh, we pray together, I want to invite you uh, to pray for you. You know you better than I know you, and certainly God knows you better than you even know yourself. And please take a moment this morning and just pray that God would use his word uh, to form and shape you into the men and women uh, that he uh, invites you to become. And if you could be so kind, I pray that uh, you would just take a moment and pray for me and pray that God uh, by His Spirit, would uh, give me uh, clarity and strength and courage as I bring His Word to you this morning. Father God, we thank You for the hope and life that is ours because of the finished work of Jesus. Thank You that You have uh, invited us to be uh, your sons and daughters, uh, kingdom people. Uh, Lord, we pray by the power of your Spirit that you would form, shape, and change us uh, this morning uh, to reflect uh, your Son more. We can't uh, do that in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, and so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, produce that in us uh, even right now. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your Word that's living and active. Thank you for how you use it uh, to change your people. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks for it this morning, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn in them to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 43, Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 43. If you don't have a copy of the scripture with you, uh, the passage will be on the screen, or I would invite you, uh, if you would like, you can go to Version. Uh, The YouVersion app, look under events and you will find a link for Christ Point Church uh, and you can follow along this morning uh, using that app as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 43 reads, You have heard it said, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be sons of your father who is in heaven. is perfect. On June 22nd, 1981, tennis player uh, John McEnroe, uh, now an announcer, was playing a match on the grass at Wimbledon. He served uh, the ball uh, down the center. It landed right on the tee. And if you were watching it closely, uh, you could see uh, the chalk fly up in the air. John McEnroe uh, thought he had served up an ace so he started walking uh, to the square next to him so he could prepare for his next serve. Only the chair umpire informed him that the serve was indeed out. John McEnroe, <laughs> flabbergasted by the call, uh, paused for a moment and looked at the chair umpire and reminded him that chalk shot up into the air. It was in. The chair umpire looked at John McEnroe and said, no, uh, it was out. Uh, to which John McEnroe uh, replied in what has uh, become a phrase that literally has marked his life, you can't be serious. Followed quickly by you cannot be serious. They went on to have a rather heated debate over the next five minutes and whether or not the ball had indeed landed in or it had landed out. Safe to say, I don't believe that John McEnroe sent the chair umpire a Christmas card that year. You cannot be serious. Have you ever read the Bible before and thought to yourself, you cannot be serious? Not because you're angry about what you read, uh, but because it seems so unbelievable or unrealistic. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You cannot be serious. But Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is serious. He calls his followers uh, to love those who are seemingly unlovable and to love those who are undeserving of our love. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, loving your enemy and hating, uh, or loving your neighbor and hating your enemy was actually uh, the, the common teaching uh, during the day. Uh, the crowd that heard Jesus' message that day would not have been shocked by that saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It was, in many circles, assumed. Uh, there was a monastic community outside Uh, The Dead Sea that had a saying, a phrase that went like this, love the brothers and hate the outsider. Love the brothers and hate the outsider. The debate uh, was not whether or not uh, someone should love their enemy. Of course you don't love your enemy. I mean, how crazy is that? The debate that raged was who in fact is my neighbor? Because right, I know I'm called to love my neighbor, and so there was much debate and thought given uh, to bringing definition around who actually is my neighbor. Scripture taught that we're to love our neighbors. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Who do you love? You love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Well, your own people, of course. Your own people are your neighbors. And so, uh, who are your own people? Who are your people? Uh, your, your neighbor, it was thought, and quite honestly, it is thought, are people who are like us. They, they are the people who align with what we think and what we believe. Those are our neighbors, right? We know this. Uh, our people, our neighbors, are people who align with us economically or financially. If you're rich or wealthy, your neighbor is people who are essentially in your same tax bracket. They think like you, they operate like you, they work like you, that's your neighbor. If you're rich, it's the rich. If you're poor, or poorer, it's the poor, or the poorer, because the rich take advantage of the poor. If the rich got rich by using their power or the authority, over the poor, and so the poor look at the rich and go, those those aren't our people. Our people are the people who think like us, who operate like us, who when they fill their taxes, they kind of fall in the same tax bracket as us. Those are our people. Who are our people? Our people are the people who align with us, uh, not just financially or economically, but also politically. Who are our people? The Republicans. Those are our people. They protect the unborn. They're for biblical marriage between a man and a woman. They're capitalist, just like Jesus. Those are our people. Who are our people? The Democrats. The Democrats are our people. They're for the marginalized. They're for the foreigner. They speak up. For justice. They see the dangers of corporate wealth just like Jesus. Those are our people. Those are our neighbors, whether it's politics or the pandemic, economics or ethics. The temptation for all of us is to find our people and to love them. But Jesus in Scripture does a couple of crazy things. Number one is he broadens. The definition of who actually is our neighbor, uncomfortably so. But then he starts talking crazy. Right? He says things like he said here, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Jesus could have simply corrected the erroneous teaching here that he mentions and says, nowhere does Scripture say uh, that you should hate your enemies, just that you should love your neighbors. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. (laughs) Well, (laughs) That's a bit challenging. Is it not? Uh, Because what... What is our response when we identify an enemy? Maybe it's someone who's hurt us or harmed us, someone who, who sees the world a little differently than us. Our temptation, my temptation, uh, is to, to push them away. Life's better that way. <laughs> they stay out of my way, uh, I stay out of theirs, and everybody uh, gets along. But, but, <laughs> but Jesus says, Love your enemy. Um, I think one of the challenges that we can have when we read a command like this is oftentimes when we think about love, and maybe it's just me, but when I think about love, I think about sort of warm, fuzzy feelings. And You, you think about someone you love or someone you've fallen in love with, and, and you think, well, they're, they're a spectacular human being. I love them. They, they give me warm, fuzzy feelings when I'm around them. My heart skips a beat when we spend time together. I love giving them googly eyes and seeing them return the favor. When we think about love, maybe we think about brotherly love. We think about our boys that we run with, that we hang out with, that we have fun with, or the girls that we run with, or shop with, or hang out with, or talk with. And we go, man, I, I love them. But our definition oftentimes stops There, But but Jesus, I think, is giving us a a different or broader definition of love. It doesn't uh, mean that we experience warm fuzzies. It doesn't mean that we get butterflies in our stomach when we think about another person. It it does mean that we see people uh, the way that God sees them as individuals uh, created and made in his image. Love your enemies and pray for those who... I uh, persecute you. Ever feel like you have experienced persecution before? I mean, honestly, I read that and I go, I don't know if I've experienced persecution of the way that Jesus is speaking about persecution. Like years ago when Starbucks made a decision to take Merry Christmas off their coffee cup, Like, I didn't feel like the world was closing in on me. Like, I don't think that's the persecution that Jesus had in mind. Now, now admittedly, the persecution that maybe we experience in the West is very different than persecution that is experienced in other places around the world. And yet it still feels, in the moment, significant to us. Maybe you've had someone say something uh, about you that wasn't true. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of jokes because of what you believe or because of how uh, you live. Maybe in extreme cases, you've lost a job or you've been prevented from experiencing upward mobility because of something that you believe that you've expressed at work or that you have made known. That, that, That can feel like some level of persecution, but there are other places in the world and historically the church has experienced significant persecution. There's a great ministry called uh, Open Door. They're an organization that um, tracks global persecution. And just this last year in 2021, they uh, said that over 340 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 340 million million people. Right, so the, the freedom that maybe you or I experience in gathering and coming together and working and living here uh, is, is unique to us compared to many places in the world. Uh, 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. Nearly 4,500 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked, were burned, or were bombed. Nearly 4,300 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced or imprisoned. How are they, or how are we, to respond to others uh, when we are persecuted? Jesus um, says, "Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you." Uh, <laughs> why? Why? Why should we do that? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 45, that you may be children of your Father. This is a difficult saying. Jesus is not saying that people who love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them uh, earn standing before God. He's not saying that if you do that, you will become a child of God. He is saying, if you're God's kids, um, this is just how you operate. You and I, we've experienced the love of God in Christ when we didn't deserve it or we haven't earned it. And so we, in turn, with that same love that's been poured into our hearts, go and we love others. Jesus is not saying that if you love your enemy and you pray for those who persecute you, you will become a child of God. He is saying because you are a child of God, a mark of your relationship with God is that you love one another. We, we see this evidenced in, in God the Father in sending his son Jesus um, to live and to die for those who do not uh, and did not uh, deserve it. Uh, we see this marked in the life of Christ as he was brutally persecuted and murdered on a cross, and, and yet he speaks words of forgiveness. He says crazy outlandish things like, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. We, We see this kind of love mark of the early church. Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, Scripture reads, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I, I, like, I have to be honest. I, I try to imagine being in his sandals, and I don't know if that's my prayer. Right? I, I might be going like, Lord, you, do you, you see this? Like, no, you see the guy with the tunic over there? You, you know his name? I hope you're keeping score. <laughs> There's something is miraculous happening in his heart where he prays that kind of prayer. We have seen this kind of love mark followers of Jesus not just 2,000 years ago, but, but not long ago. I think about um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at his funeral. Dr. Benjamin Mays listed the suffering, the persecution that he experienced at the hands of his enemies. Here you see the picture of him on his front lawn after a cross was burned. Dr. Benjamin Mays says of Martin Luther King Jr., his house was bombed, he lived day by day for 13 years under constant threats of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by a member of his own. Yet, a king in his work, Strength to Love, written in large part when he spent 15 days in an Albany jail for holding a prayer vigil, wrote these words, returning evil for evil multiplies evil adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We have seen that perfectly uh, lived out in the life of Jesus. We see that at times imperfectly lived out in his followers. I read stories like that, and I think to myself, like, come on. Like, that is so unusual. That, that comes across as otherworldly. And yet, that is the love of a father. That is the love, by the way, Christian, that you and I have experienced. Scripture teaches us that we were enemies. There was a time in our lives when we didn't want anything uh, to do with God. We were unimpressed by God. We were unmoved by God. We were indifferent toward God. We were hostile uh, toward God. And God loved us anyway. He he has loved us with this audacious love. How, How do we know the love of God? Do we know the love of God? Jesus explains it uh, to those who are listening to him that day. Interestingly enough, what Jesus does is he puts on his meteorologist hat, which is interesting. I don't know if I would have done that, but that's what Jesus does to remind the crowd of the deep love and kindness of God. Look at what he says. Jesus said to the crowd, "'For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good.'" And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus gives two examples of the kindness and love of God. The first evidence of his love in all of creation is the sunrise. Like, I love it. It's just so simple. He looks to nature and he is reminding the people, look, at what God has done. I don't know about you, but I, I love a good sunrise. If you are not a morning person, just imagine that Jesus is talking about the sunset. I think that that's okay. But it says here a sunrise. I love a good sunrise. There's something that, that the sunrise represents that just warms my heart. I, I love seeing the sunrise, for instance, on Hilton Head Island. It's one of my most favorite things to do. I don't know if you've experienced it before. If you haven't, you should. I don't like to boss you around. I don't like to tell you what to do, but if you haven't seen a sunrise on Hilton Head Island, you should go this week. If you have vacation time, uh, use it. It's spectacular to wake up early in the morning, uh, to go onto a quiet beach, and just to watch what God does literally every single day. Like the sun comes up. It's like a new day, a fresh start, a new beginning. And there it is. I can watch it, but apparently I'm not the only one. Like I've been there before where other people, get this, other people have had the audacity to get up early and watch the sun rise too. It blows me away. I've seen families. I've seen couples in love. I've watched people run on the beach and watched the sunrise. I've watched as people have walked on the beach and watched the sunrise. It's amazing when it happens. And I don't know this for sure because I haven't asked anyone, um, but I think that there are people on the beach the same time as I am who are schmucks. I'm serious. I mean, I think there are some people on the beach watching the sunrise who you wouldn't want to go into business with. I'm convinced that there are dudes who watch the sunrise on the beach at Hilton Head who you would not want your daughter to date. There are some people who see the sunrise who you're not friends with, and you're better for it. Here's the deal. Like, everybody gets to see it. There's not a line for a Christian sunrise and a non-Christian sunrise. Like God just gives the world the sunrise and says, look at what I did. Enjoy this. And isn't God loving and isn't God kind to do that? He goes on and and Jesus says to the crowd, not only does God allow the sun uh, to rise on on the good and uh, the bad, but but God allows uh, the sun uh, to rise on everyone or or on the rain to fall on everyone uh, so that people can grow tomatoes. Christians and non-Christians alike. God sends down the rain. We probably don't think about this a whole lot. We're city folk. Most of us are city folk. And so we don't, we don't think about God sending the rain to water the crops. But when you live in a, a place that is surrounded by desert, and you long for the rain, you pray for the rain, you capture the rain, you're desperate for the rain. And Jesus says God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. You don't drive by one house with nice grass and go, there's some Christians. And then drive by another house with with burnt out grass and go, they clearly don't know the Lord. Like God, God just sends the rain. God allows the sun to rise and to set on the righteous and on the evil. He sends the rain on uh, the just and uh, the unjust. God God is loving and God is kind. Theologians call this God's common grace. It's common. Not common in the terms of unimpressive, but common in the sense that we all get to enjoy it. The psalmist writes in Psalm 145, Uh, Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all and he has compassion on all he has made. God is loving to those who don't deserve it. It's one thing uh, to love the easy to love, but you don't get rewarded for doing what everyone naturally does. Look at verse 46 in Matthew chapter 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Jesus tells the crowd, essentially, love the difficult to love. Who's the difficult to love? Your enemy, those who persecute you. Those folks are difficult to love. He says, you don't don't get bonus points or extra credit for loving people who are easy to love. This last week, I was driving Amelia to school one morning. Uh, my boys at their school had Spirit Week, and on one particular day, they had to dress up as someone who was famous, right? someone who was famous for Spirit Week. So they, you know, they got all dialed up, and it got me thinking as I was driving Amelia to school, I said, hey, Amelia, if you had a day at your school where you had to dress up as someone famous or like a superhero, I'm like, would you dress up as your dad? And she says to me, she, she said, Well, yeah, Dad, you're kind of like a superhero because you tell people about Jesus. I don't, I don't get any credit for, for loving a 10 year old who, rightfully or wrongfully, just called me a superhero. Like, she, like she's easy to love. If, if you love someone who's easy to love, like, what Jesus said even the tax collectors do that. You, you have to understand, the tax collectors in that society, they were hated because they took advantage of people. Rome sends out their tax collectors. They say, go to Highland Creek. We need you to collect taxes. They each had their sections, and and there was this expectation that they were to bring in a certain amount of money. And you know what they did? They collected uh, more than they needed, and they lined their own pockets. And if, if you were a fellow Jew, and you were a tax collector, and you were taking advantage of your people, People hated you. And Jesus said one day, even the tax collectors love the people who are easy to love. You don't get extra credit for that. Jesus continues, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? If you come to, like if you come to church on Sunday and, and you just find the two people you know and, and you yuck it up with them, but but you, you close your eyes to everyone else around you. Like if, if you're unwilling to get a little uncomfortable and say, you know, I, you know, I've seen you before, but I don't think I know your name. Can you tell me your name? Like, if, if you just find your, <laughs> your boys or your girls, Jesus, like, like, everybody does that. But Jesus is painting a picture of life in his kingdom that is different. He's he's, he's telling the crowds, "My my people, people who follow King Jesus, they they don't operate that way." Verse forty-eight: Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. For perfectionists, you know who you are. If you read this, you might um, you might break out into a sweat. Like, you might think to yourself, I can't, like, oh, no, like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's impossible. That's impossible. I can't be perfect. I can try to be perfect, but I know I'm not going to be perfect. What's interesting is that the Bible has no problem commanding us to do what is impossible to do apart from uh, God working in our hearts and in our lives. This is not some unrealistic call, listen to this, this is not some unrealistic call to sinless perfection. That does not exist this side of heaven. If, if someone that you are talking to tells you, you know, it's funny, I can't remember the last time that I sinned. Run. We, we, we wrestle. We do, we do battle. We're, we're broken people. This is not some unrealistic call to sinless perfection. What, what this is... A call to, though, is a, is a Christian maturity that loves the way that the Father loves because His love has been poured into the hearts of His people. Love with a love that is not dependent on how another person acts or responds. Love with a love that that is not simply a response uh, to the love that you receive or the love that you don't receive. A love with a love that isn't deserved or earned. I love what author Sinclair Ferguson wrote uh, in his work. He says, The mark of perfection in the Christian is not determined by the loveliness or the attractiveness he finds in its object. Uh, His love is not conditional upon his being loved first. His love is not directed only towards those whose love he can rely on in return. No, his love is controlled by the knowledge that when he was God's enemy and a sinner, uh, the Father loved him first. That's the kind of love that Jesus is calling his followers uh, to love with. We love uh, because God has loved so, church family, let's think together for a moment this morning. Is there someone in your life who God is calling you to love? Maybe this someone is in the category of an enemy, or someone you would look to as someone who has even persecuted you. And what I mean by that is someone who has treated you poorly or unfairly? But Is there someone in your life who God is calling you to love? Maybe it is a boss uh, who, who did you wrong. Maybe it is a former employee who took advantage of you or spread gossip about you. Maybe it is an ex who has made life difficult or unbearable for you will you love him or will you love her i'm not asking you to have warm fuzzy feelings about the person i'm not suggesting that you should call them up and ask them to hang out or join you for your next family vacation right what what I am asking you or what I am suggesting is would you be willing to put them, him, or her on the top of your prayer list? Would you be willing to pray God's best uh, for for him or her? Would you be willing when you speak of that person that you use God-honoring words or maybe loving that person means not speaking of them at all because you don't want to say something that you will regret. Is there someone in your life uh, who God is calling you love Jesus tells us you have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you now let's pray together this morning and ask for god's help lord I, I admit that that kind of love that you call your people to uh, seems uh, pretty aggressive. Uh, it's, it's hard to believe, even. Because I believe that there are, are people here who have been on the receiving end of harsh words or gossip, who have been treated unfairly, who have been wronged. we're being honest, we've been on the receiving end, and, and quite honestly, if we're being truthful, we've probably been on the giving end as well. We're not perfect people. And so we need help to do this. And so we ask that you would help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit, I pray that you would pour your love into our hearts so that we would love our enemies, and we would love those who persecute us, who we don't see eye to eye with, who we disagree with. And we would love them in such a compelling way uh, that people are pointed to your son Jesus. We ask for your help this morning. God, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.